Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. I wanted to say this is Garrett's first time to preach. So I'd like for all of you to stand, stand, and give him a round of applause this morning. Everyone knows when you preach your first sermon, you're the most nervous. So pray for him this morning, okay? You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Andy. (laughs) Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about overcoming spiritual complacency. And we're going to be looking at Amos chapter 6 and also going throughout a good chunk of the book. But that's where our sole focus is going to be. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Amos chapter 6 right now. We'll read through that and then open up with a word of prayer. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over Kauna and see, and go from there to Hamath the Great, then go to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better off than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? Or you who put far away the day of disaster, and bring near the seat of violence? Woe to those who lie on the beds of ivory, and stretch themselves out on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say no. And he shall say, Silence, we must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar and say, Have we not by our own strength captured Karanim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, a house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Label Hamath to the brook of Arabah. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am grateful for this time that we have together this morning. Lord, I pray that as I bring the message that you have laid on my heart, that they wouldn't be my words, Lord, because I know my words have no authority and no power, but yours do. And so I pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit to give me the words to speak to these people, what every single person in this room needs to hear. And I thank you that uh, we're able to come here and worship you this morning. And I just pray that as we walk away from here, we would feel challenged to not be complacent in our own walk with you, but that we would feel encouraged, equipped, and empowered to go and make a difference in not only our own lives, but our families, those who we run into contact with throughout the week, that you'd be pleased with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So Amos isn't a book that is preached on very often, so I want to give you a little background on what is going on here. Amos isn't a professional prophet by any means. He was actually a shepherd in Tekoa, and God calls him to go and give these visions to all these people, like Israel and a bunch of surrounding nations. And Israel right now is going through a time where everything is going 
it's a good situation for them. They have a lot of land. They have a lot of wealth. They have many luxuries that the other surrounding nations do not have. And they have these really high walls. Their military is having great success. Every time somebody is coming to attack them, they're able to defend them off. And so they're like, you know, we're in a really good place. The leaders feel very secure. They're not afraid of anybody coming in and attacking them. But because of that, you know, they're kind of letting their guard down. And they're thinking, you know, we're the people of Israel. God has called us to be his nation. And so nothing's going to happen to us. We can do pretty much whatever we want, and God will protect us. But of course, we know that all sin has to be punished. And these people are living in a time where they're sinning greatly against the Lord. These are just a few of the things that they're doing. They're ignoring the poor. They're selling the poor into debt slavery. They're denying them any legal representation. They're committing many acts of idolatry. And although they're attending religious gatherings, they're giving their offerings and making sacrifices, God hates their worship because it's so disconnected from him. They're doing things that are totally against what scripture tells us to do. So this morning, we're going to look at three different ways how complacency can impact us. The first way is your family suffers. It's not just you that suffers as an individual, but your entire family suffers. And that goes for everyone, from the youngest person in the room to the oldest. Now, if you're a parent and you have children, God has called you to be the spiritual leader of the house. And so you need to set an example for your kids of what that looks like. And so if you're not falling in love with Jesus and you're not sh- having that daily time with him where you're praying and you're de- getting into the word, trying to know him better, then how can you expect your children to do that? Or maybe you're a grandparent. God has still given you a lot of influence for your grandchildren. So you are to use that to honor and glorify him. Maybe you think, you know, I, I didn't do so good of a job as a parent. Well, then look at grandparenting as a second chance. You know, help your, come alongside your kids as their parents now and help them, you know, give them some wisdom that you've learned over the years. Equip them to be leaders and encourage them. I want to speak specifically to the men in the room because even though the father and mother, they're equal partners, the man is called to be the spiritual leader. And so it's important that you yourself are digging into God's word, that you have a passion to know him better so that you can effectively lead your wife and lead your children in a growing relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have that, then you're going to see your family suffer. So let's look at Amos 6, verses 8 through 14. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say no. He shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low debar and say, Have we not by our own strength catch your care name for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, a house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from low behemoth to the brook of Arabah. And then we're also going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8. Read through verse 10. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth below. 
or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's saying if you're becoming complacent in your own walk with God, you know, it's going to affect your children, but not only your children, but your grandchildren and their children. It goes down three and four generations. So make sure right now that you are taking that time with the Lord and showing your kids what a growing relationship looks like. I want to tell you a story about what happened one time in one of our H2O events. And if you don't know what H2O is, it stands for His to Own, and it's a ministry that we started back in February. Well, these fourth and fifth graders, this ministry is meant to prepare them for the transition to middle school because I believe that's the hardest transition you have. Uh, But aside from that, also help them become leaders. Help them become leaders in their school, here at church, in the sports, wherever they go. Because as a believer, God has called us to be leaders. And so the one night, I had some volunteers that were crazy enough to do a lock-in. And I had the whole night scheduled out from 6 p.m. to 9 in the morning. There wasn't a minute of sleep in the schedule up the whole night. It was crazy. But I had 30 minutes on the schedule for lesson time. And so the kids come out. I I give my lesson. And then we're talking about finding our identity in God and what that looks like. And so hands start going up all over the place and calling on them. And they're sharing with me how, what they've learned from the lesson, what they've, different personal experiences they had in their own school. They're even sharing failures and saying, you know, how can I do better next time? Or the telling successes of how, you know, I did this and I trusted in God and look what happened. So it was really encouraging. But out of that 30 minutes, you know, it went way over the scheduled time we had. In fact, it went, it was close to an hour and a half long where these kids were just raising their hands. They just, they wanted more of Jesus. They were hungry for him. And I tell you that story not to try and say, hey, come work with us in the fall. Although if you want to get involved, I'll gladly talk to you. But the main point of that reason uh, to tell you that story is that those are the conversations you can be having at home with your kids. Sometimes it just takes, you know, having that discussion starter where you're talking to them about it. And as you talk about it, they start coming, oh, you know, I have questions about this. I have questions about that. And it really, it's a blessing to have those conversations with these kids. So I'd encourage you, if you're not doing that, to make sure you're spending time having those discussions with your grandchildren, with your children, about God. And I also want to share some research done by a pastor I was talking to. And he took two years off to do this research because he found out that 80% of children, uh, they, the kids, once they graduated from high school, were actually walking away from the church. Only 20% were hanging around. And he said, after doing all this research, all these surveys and everything, he found three things in common with all those kids that stayed in the church. The first one was the parents were being the spiritual leader in the house. So they were taking that role seriously. They were leading their kids in a time of devotion and in prayer. And they were praying for them and all together. The second part is the parents were actively involved in the church. And that could be many different ways. It could be in worship. It could be serving in student ministry and and children's ministry. Whatever it might be, they were using their gifts and they were serving in the local church. And the kids saw that and it made them want to get involved as well. And the third reason the third thing that they found out was that they had a mentor outside of the family that was able to come alongside them and encourage them. Someone who was a believer, who, you know, didn't just care that the kids showed up on Sunday morning, but wanted to make sure that their walk with God was good Monday through Saturday as well. 
And so they took that time to spend with them. And, you know, even if it was just a phone call saying, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Or, you know, when was the last time you opened up your Bible? And just getting them to think about those things. So I encourage you, if you're thinking of those and you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm missing one of them, that you would do your very best to be able to, to find that void, to fill it. Because all of us here, we want our children and our grandchildren to be successful. We do. That's why we're here in church. We, we believe in it. We believe that the church can come alongside and help us. But let's take an action step here and make sure that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do with our kids. The second point I have is you become easily satisfied. When you become complacent, you become easily satisfied. So we're going to look at Amos 6, verse 2. Pass over Kauna and see him there from go to Hamath the Great and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms or is their territory greater than your territory? So these kingdoms that he's talking about were all much greater than what Israel was. And of course we know that Israel was having a great time of prosperity. They had a lot of success and they even recently conquered a large amount of territory. And But he's saying, look, these nations were so much bigger than you. They had more powerful army. They had bigger walls to defend off any attacking nations. Yet they still got overrun by the Syrians. So what makes you think, Israel, that you can get away with it? That nothing will bad ever, ever happen to you if it happened to a much big place than, you, than what your nation is right now? So he's challenging them. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. When you become complacent in your walk with God and you think, you know, I'm good enough. At least I'm not like so-and-so, or at least I come to church on Sundays. And it's, it's not just a, a steady growth with God. It's you're going to start declining because you're starting to let your guard down. And so these people, they, they found their happiness in materialistic things. Like I said, they had many luxuries. And because of those luxuries, they, that's what they were finding their contentment in. They ignored the warnings from Amos and decided to do what brought personal pleasure. And I think of that, I can't help but think of our nation today. I mean, how are we like that as a people? That we're so much focused on, okay, when can I get this promotion? I just want to make more money. How can I save up to get this new car? How can we get a bigger house? You just name it, and it's all around us. I mean, there's ads everywhere we go trying to tell us that, you know, you buy this one thing, and your life will be so much better. We buy into it all the time. We're seeking our own personal pleasures instead of seeking God and what he wants for our life. The third point is you drift further from the Lord. If you become complacent, you drift further. So we're going to turn to Amos chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? In the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall from the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. So, Amos comes to them and keeps saying, look, you've got to open your eyes. I keep telling you, God is going to punish you for your sins. And they keep saying, no, you know, it's not going to happen. And they're just being completely ignorant. So turn back to Amos 3, verse 2. 
You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So God has to punish our sin because he cares for us and he loves us. And he doesn't want us to continue to live in that kind of a lifestyle. So he, he wants us to have a relationship where we're actively pursuing him. Where we're not just saying, oh, you know what, at least I went to church or I opened up my Bible five minutes last night before I went to bed. But we're constantly pursuing him. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you know one quote says, just keep swimming. And that's what our relationship with God should look like. We should keep swimming towards him. Whenever things get difficult and they're tough and you don't want to keep moving on, keep pursuing him. Because there is something great in the end for us. And he has great plans for us, but we have to spend that time with him. Conrad Hall says this, you are always a student, never a master. You have to keep moving forward. When I first read this quote, I thought of a time when I was getting ordained just back a few months ago. And I was in my ordination council. And uh, they had finished all the questions. I stepped out of the room. And then they voted, which, of course, you know that they, they voted to ordain me at that time. And so then I go back in, and all the men who were sitting around that table, they gave me some advice on how I could have a ministry that will last forever, and a ministry that is healthy and pleasing to the Lord. And they all said many different things, which I'm grateful for all the advice they shared with me. Uh, but there was one common theme in all of them, and that was you're always a student. You know, just because you're out of seminary now, it doesn't mean stop learning doesn't mean stop reading. So they encourage me to not only, of course, get in the Word of God daily and study it, but also to read books. And not just on children's ministry, though children's ministry books are great for me to be able to help the children's ministry go forward with a fresh vision, but books on other things, just other Christian books, whether it's theology or anything else, something that's going to challenge me and get me thinking about my faith with the Lord. So these are the visions that Amos is giving. A scorching fire, a locust swarm, swallowed up like overripe fruit, and striking the pillars of Bethel. So pretty much what he's saying here is, this is serious business. Do not keep sinning on and neglecting the poor and just looking out for number one. But take the sin seriously. Turn away from it. And the one that strikes me the most out of all these is the pillars of Bethel. Because that was a place where they went and they made their sacrifices, where they worshipped. And yet God is saying, yeah, you know, that's your most safe place where you feel most secure. Yeah, I'm going to destroy it because I don't like how you're treating other people. I don't like how you continue to sin against me. So if we're living in a, if we're having these problems of sin and we know, ah, you know, I, I know I need to do this, but let me just wait until this passes and then I'll get focused again. But God wants us to turn completely away from it. Billy Graham said that God's children need discipline to be useful members of his family. We know that discipline is always for our own good, although it's not pleasant at the time when we're going through it. God uses it for a reason, and he uses it to help us grow in our faith and our walk with him. So don't allow Satan to convince you and lie to you and say, you know what, you're fine. At least you came to church on Sunday. At least you go on Wednesday nights hey, you opened your Bible two times last week. That's one more time than you did the week before. But no, be, continue to pursue him and have that passion, that desire to know him deeper. Hunger for God. There's an unknown author that says this about complacency. It invades areas once occupied by our passion, interest, desire, and focus. When complacent, the valued things that had captivated our thoughts, hearts, and energies 
tend to fade from priority and can even become mundane or boring routine of everyday life. Burnout in our work life, loss of fire in relationships, and the lack of zeal for things we once held important are common experiences. The shame is not in complacency, but in the failure to recognize it and take corrective measures to regain our footing. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I, I think I am becoming complacent. And maybe it's in the amount of time you spend with God. And you just keep giving excuses. I'm so busy. I, I got called into work or I'm putting in extra hours this week. Whatever it might be, you haven't spent that time with God that you know he so much desires. Or maybe you become complacent in sharing the gospel. Or you can't even remember the last time you shared the gospel with someone. But you kind of make excuses. And you say, well, it's a weakness of mine. I'm not very good at sharing the gospel. And, you know, we all have our own weaknesses. So you can't expect me to be perfect. Or maybe it is in your family life. Maybe you haven't been the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. Maybe you don't even talk about God with your children except on the way home after church. So I would challenge you in any of these areas or in any other area you can think of where you are being complacent to step up and be a spiritual leader you've been called to be. God has given each and every one of you influence in this room. You are to use it for his honor and glory. You are to depend on him. So how do we cure this complacency? Of course, Jesus is the only answer. But the first step we need to take is ask God to forgive you of your complacency. We'll turn back to Amos 9 for this. Verses 11 through 12. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. So ask God to forgive you of your complacency. Come to him and say, you know, I I know I failed you in this area, but I want to do better. I'm sorry. Restore me. So let's look at Revelation 2, verse 4. And this was addressed to the church in Ephesus. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you have at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. So this church had lost its first love, Jesus Christ. It's fallen away. And maybe that's where you're at right now, where you started off when you were first a Christian, you were on fire for God, you were actively involved in the church, you were going out to the community, being very missional, but it's kind of died away. Things took its place, you started getting busier, and so you put it off to the side. So, you know, go back to God. He's welcoming you with welcome arms. He he wants to have welcome you back into him. So allow God to be what you find your joy in, not in materialistic things, which can be so tempting because it's all around us. And we see people that have all these things that we want and we think will make us happy. We know, of course, that our joy can only be found in serving Jesus, serving him in your workplace, serving him in your family, in the church. Just find your joy in serving him because I'm telling you, if you go after that, you seek the Lord, You're serving him in everything you do, every single area of your life. You'll have such joy that you won't even be able to explain it. So the second thing we need to do is seek God. And we're going to turn to Psalm 42. Verse 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? And appear before God. 
that should be a picture of us trying, trying to know God, that we're striving to know him better. That like a deer that is so desperate for water, we are desperately searching out Jesus. We're searching because we know we need him so badly. We need him to be not number two in our lives, number one above anything else. And as we seek him, everything else falls into place. You would find that love in Jesus Christ. So once you have asked for forgiveness and you're starting to seek God, you know, reclaim a vision for your life, just like the Israelites did. Okay, God, what do you want me to do next? I'm sold out 100% for you now. What's my next step? And as you pray about that and he reveals that to you and say, okay, God, now what do I need to do in order to get there? What's my first step in obedience? So fill your heart with the promises of God. No doubt, during that time where you are turning away from your sin, you're going to stop being complacent, you're following Jesus 100%, but there will be spiritual warfare. Because we know that Satan doesn't attack those who are doing what he wants us to do, but those who are following God. So it's important that we remember the promises of God during this time. I'm just going to look at one of them, and that's going to be Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him he has no might. He increases strength. So trust in God to get you through it. You, you would find your strength, and remember that if he's called you to do it, he will get you through it. He's going to empower you to do what he's laid on your heart to do, whatever that might be but continue to submit yourselves fully to God and trust in his plan. And of course, let God restore you just like he did the people Israel. We'll turn to Amos 9 again, verses 11 through 15. See how it ends. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess, possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. They will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them says the Lord your God. So he says, yes, I am going to punish them. They had to be punished for their sins. And a lot of people will be destroyed from it. But not everyone. Because I am true to my promises that the Messiah will still come from the house of David. So he says, once you turn from your wicked ways and you reclaim that vision for your life, know that there's, there's goodness in store for you. I will take back the title, my God, from you. So maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're thinking, you know, I, I have become complacent. And I would ask you to come down to the altar at this time and be able to talk to myself, Pastor Andy. We'd love to talk to you about that or pray over that with you. Or if you just want to come kneel at the altar. Or maybe there's some of you who are thinking, you know, I, I don't really know this Jesus, but I would like to know him. I'll tell you that he loves you very much and he wants to welcome you in. That he died on the cross for your sins because of his great love for you. But it didn't end them there on the cross, but he rose from the dead victoriously three days later. 
So if God is just really working in your heart right now and you feel, you know, I, I think I need to respond or I have some questions, I'd also invite you to come down and talk to one of the pastors. But if he's laying this on your heart, don't, don't stay in your seat, but respond out of obedience to him.